Welcome to the Talking 306 podcast, an original Saskatchewan podcast hosted by me, Dale Richardson. On this episode of the Talking 306 podcast, the finale of season one, my guest is Megs Reynolds. Megs Reynolds, commonly known as Farmer Megs, is a grain farmer in southwestern Saskatchewan and is a well-known social media influencer and fierce advocate of the agriculture industry. I sat down with Megs recently and we discussed her life, including growing up in Calgary, how she got into the film film industry in Alberta and her career working on film sets, how she met her husband Liam and started farming with him, life on the farm, and important agriculture issues including GMOs, climate change and the carbon tax, mental health, and women in agriculture. My name is Dale Richardson, and I'm the host of the Talking 306 podcast, and this is my conversation with Megs Reynolds. Megs, thanks for doing this. You're welcome. You've been busy. We were, we were just talking about it a bit, but you were in Europe. Yes, I was in Germany for about a week. I think. Doing what? Um, me and another farmer from Germany had the idea to get agricultural advocates from around the world together uh, because we realized that we might have different governments in place. We might have different ways of growing our crops or raising our animals. But at the end of the day, if you kind of take away those, uh, superficial differences, we have the same communications, uh, the same challenges. We're trying to get out there and share our story. We have that disconnect with who now grew up on the farm and who's still connected to the farm. Uh, we're yeah. watching policy that's dictating what tools we get to use on our farms. So we really wanted to bring farmers together from around the world to have that conversation and to say, you know, like, this is what I'm doing. Maybe that helps someone else in their conversation. And then to be able to bring our voices together. Um, so we had that idea about a year ago and then he just ran with it and planned it so <laughs> yeah yeah no that was uh there was a social media post that, that you put up where i think you i think you wrote something like i don't understand exactly what they're saying in in german because mm-hmm. they were yes. speaking german yeah. but something like we all you know farmers all all speak the same language basically mm-hmm. or something like that yeah so, yeah that was cool so then and then you came home very briefly and then back to to where you live and then to regina because it was agribition and that's a... Yes, I was like, what was I doing there again? Yes, back to Regina, um, agribition. I was opening a mental health workshop. um, So I got to speak there for a little bit. And then, uh, what else did I do? Oh, I had a meeting that evening and then, yeah, home for a couple days and then Saskatoon for um, Saskanola's Learn to Lead conference, which my husband actually got to attend. So that was nice to do something together. (laughs) Do you guys travel very much together to to go to those types of things or is is he mostly at Usually it's just me. Some of the farm shows that we'll attend together, but normally he's he's on the farm making sure the farm stuff is happening and making sure our two little girls are (laughs) uh, looked after and have a parent around. Right. So... Why don't we go back a bit? Okay, we'll we'll talk lots of about the farm stuff, but let's go back to um, to your early life. So you're from Calgary, right? I am, yes. So and and you grew up like right in right in the city of Calgary. Very much so, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so so what was life like there? What did your parents do and things like that? Okay, well, my mom was always a teacher um, yeah. and then worked with children. Uh, 
basically developing coursework around uh, teaching younger children with autism and then helping parents find the resources that were available through the province as well. And my dad, uh, he's actually changed careers a lot over the years. So he kind of taught me that I'm never really married to my path in life. I can keep changing, which has been a great thing, I think, for me to know. Um, So when we first moved to Calgary, he was working with Environment Canada doing water um, surveying across the province. And um, for a while he had his own consulting business. He went back and got his master's in environmental science when I was in high school. So he's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then he worked, um, uh, at a company for a long time once he got his master's. So, um, growing up, we, you know, pretty typical, typical city kid. I was lucky to always live close enough to the schools that I went to that I could walk. Um, you know, my graduating class for high school is about the population of the town we now farm outside of. Yeah. Um, so change that way. Uh, but my grandpa, my uncle actually had a ranch in Southern Alberta near Pincher Creek. So I did have that exposure growing up. I didn't know anything about grain farming, but I did, um, I was around kind of the cattle side of it and, and the rural side of it a little bit. So, um, I, I guess I should say, you Speaking about your parents and your dad, I I got to meet them this summer when I yes <laughs> when I visited uh, your farm when I was in my previous job. So yeah, no, and and when we were there, your dad talked about lots of his his environmental mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, no, that was interesting. So okay, so the ranch at at, at Pincher Creek. I know that that you've kind of talked about how that was, um, you know, even though you grew up in Calgary, you know, a big city Calgary that that you know going and visiting uh the ranch on like on weekends and in the summer was something you always thought you may want to mm-hmm. you know do all the time so um yeah so that that's interesting a lot of windmills near Pincher Creek. Yes, there are now. There yeah. weren't back in the day, but No, probably not. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of them now. So, how did you get into the film industry? I had family friends growing up that were involved. One's a prop master and the other one is a set decorator. So I was exposed to that. Um, I got to visit a couple sets when I was a kid and and to be around that environment and always thought that it was something that I wanted to do. And then um, right out of high school, um, I went volunteering in Costa Rica for a while. I worked at a welding shop for a little while Mm. and I wanted to do film. I just didn't have... um, there wasn't really much going on in Calgary at that at that particular point. What was the job that that you got on on your first film? Was it was it the set dresser? Because you have a lot of IMDb credits yeah. as as a set dresser. Yes. What exactly is that? So the set dressers are the ones that come in and basically we're like little interior designers and furniture movers. So okay. if it's a house, we'll come in, we'll put all the furniture in the house, we'll put all the curtains up, the art on the walls. Yeah. Uh, but it could also be I worked on Passchendaele, which is a yeah, World War One right. movie. So we recreated recreated the entire Passchendaele battlefield. Um, so it can it can be inside, it can be outside, it could be a barn, it could be wherever. Yeah. Uh, so my first job was a, as a trainee for that position on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford with yeah, Brad fam- Pitt and Casey Affleck. Yeah, famous. So, I feel like that movie has really been overlooked. Um, it's beautiful. It's it's a, it's, it's, it's a great it's a it's great beautiful. film. Yeah. yeah. Um, Roger it, Deakins is an amazing. It's long, it's long too. It's very isn't long. It? Yes, yeah. and that was with. I think multiple edits for to get. Uh, I think it was Warner Brothers to get the director to to cut it down to that length. Um, yeah. It definitely was an art, more of an art piece. I think, yeah. uh, in in his mind. So and and that was and that movie was shot in a bunch of 
places in Canada, but but primarily in Calgary is or Calgary Mainly in area. Alberta, yeah. So yeah. we were a little bit in Winnipeg too, I think. Yes, maybe I yeah, read a yeah. theater in Winnipeg. Okay. Um, so yeah. we were filming at uh, Heritage Park in Calgary, Fort Edmonton. We built a massive village out in Spray Lakes, outside Canmore. So yeah, all around Calgary and Canada, Alberta locations and. Actually, I think one of my most embarrassing moments in life actually oh. happened on that film set. And we were, uh, we what we call a blocking is when everybody who's going to be on set for filming shows up and the actors walk through that scene and yeah. everyone watches and camera figures out where they want to be and all that fun stuff. And so they were, everybody had showed up to the outside of this general store they were going to be filming in Fort Edmonton and we were... Suddenly they were going to see into this other room that was supposed to be kind of a, a corridor or a hallway and we had to fly in some dressing to put in there to you know make it look like the back of a store and so we're unloading this pickup truck it's raining most of the crew standing right there like the director and Brad Pitt are probably like 20 feet away from me and I went to jump out of the back of the truck and my hand slipped off and I basically fell on my back between the sidewalk and the truck in front of Brad Pitt and the director and quickly ran away good (laughs) and they were like okay who's this yeah what what did she do (laughs) that's funny okay um there were yeah you had some interesting credits on imdb one one was a film called creepy jesus <laughs> that was a short yeah. film a friend of mine who is an actor uh jason Sturmack, who is yeah. from alberta as well and he's currently in vancouver um so that was a project of his that i that i helped out on a little bit yeah yeah the trailer was online and it really wasn't a, a trailer it was just a series of words with with the actors in the film just shocked faces <laughs> and then it you know at the end it said, there was a photo of of Jesus on the cross and then it just said creepy Jesus it's probably one of the one of the more interesting titles so um do you do you miss that life a little bit yeah. um you know it's it's something that i was passionate about so for sure i miss it a little bit um Two winters ago, I snuck back. I was kind of going a bit stir crazy because my girls are about 16 and a half months apart. Yeah. And so kind of for the first three years, I didn't have much of a life outside of being a mom and farming. And so I was kind of going a little bit of stir crazy. And my husband realized that. And he's like, you need to go do something, go do mm-hmm. something for you. And Winona Earp was filming in and outside of Calgary and my old special effects boss was coordinating on it. And so he said, why don't you come out and do some special effects for a couple of weeks? And so I snuck back to Calgary and did some special effects on season two of Winona Earp. And that was just awesome. I had yeah. so much fun and reconnecting with people I hadn't seen in years. Yeah. And yeah. No, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice to be able to do little side projects that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think too, that's why I do a lot of video in uh, my social media with farming and trying to yeah. explain what I'm doing. It's something, it's a, a media or a tool that I feel comfortable with. Well, I think, I think it's, yeah, this was something that I was thinking about for you is that I'm, I mean, it's pretty clear that your time working in film, I mean, you become a storyteller just, just by watching that. And that's basically what you do now is, mm-hmm you are telling the story of your life and your family's life farming and all the stuff that comes with it. So no, that's, that's cool. So, um, speaking of that, can, can you just quickly tell the, the brief story of how you got from Calgary doing film work to, uh, farming on a <laughs> farm out at people, people always say that you're in the Kyle area, but yes. really you're closest to white, white bear. bear. Yes. Which segues into is, that story. You know, white bear is not very big either, but yeah, if you can, if you can just briefly 
Tell the story. I think the population of white bears is about 12 yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so I basically, uh, a friend of mine grew up in Calgary, but also grew up in that area because her dad farms land down there. Or Yeah, he still farms land. Um, and it was her boyfriend's surprise, surprise birthday party at harvest time. And so I came out um, and ended up at this bar in White Bear, population 12, for this birthday party. And uh, that's where I met my husband, Liam, for the first time. And I don't, he claims he does now, but I don't think he remembers meeting me that night. Mm -hmm. Um, But he (laughs) left, obviously left a little bit of an impression. And then uh, a group of us, uh, kind of from that group, went down to the National Finals Rodeo in Vegas that December. And uh, he was down there with that group as well so we reconnected down there and within about I think it was less than 24 hours of me kind of joining up with the group he announced everyone he was going to marry me one day and everyone kind of went silent and looked at him like he just lost his mind (laughs) (laughs) and fast forward a couple years and it happened so yeah he obviously (laughs) he obviously had some some certainty about that yeah but it's a pretty random series of events you know like I always wanted to end up on a farm or ranch um but I never ever thought that would be in Saskatchewan. Yeah. You know, growing up with that connection to Southern Alberta and a lot of friends down there and spending a lot of time down there, I always thought that was the area that I would end up in. Yeah, because because Liam's family farm, where you guys now, the farm that you guys now run, it's about like maybe a, a kilometer away from, from White Bear. Like, I, uh, like, I ran there. It's close. Um, yeah, okay. I think like close. maybe three or four. Yeah, it's very close. So yeah, no, basically what I'm, just thinking is that it's interesting that you met him there and then yeah, mm-hmm. just just like literally down the road you, yeah <laughs> you, would, you would now be so um so what so so you guys you, you got married obviously and then like how how soon after you guys met or started dating until you moved to the farm and started doing doing all the getting mm-hmm. into the operations um, well, we started dating over New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like then, not, you don't need to go into the whole dating yeah. history, obviously. I'm just um, trying to figure out the timeline for. for and this. then I think it, it would have been, then I was back in Vancouver, um, working on a TV series and we kind of, I flew out at seeding, kind of learned how to seed and run the drill and, and yeah. help with that stuff. You and had then, some interesting f- first experiences. I, I think you wrote about where you like for first harvest, you like you you broke the combine basically, or, or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got it plugged pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then, so I officially moved all my stuff out and moved out and changed my license over and stuff that July. So that's cool. Yeah, maybe I don't know six seven months in. Um, obviously, I knew he was not about to relocate. <laughs> Fourth no. generation family farm. Yeah. Um, and right. so, yeah, I packed all my stuff up, moved up. And then the only thing I really knew was that at some point everything's going to break down. So I got a job um, at Owens and Schweitzer, which is an agco dealership in Aston, as an apprentice heavy-duty mechanic, yeah. figuring that I should learn how to fix stuff because it, then I can be handy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's smart. But any training in that before you before you started working there? Or was it just learning on the job type thing? Pretty much learning on the job. I'd done a couple cool. things for my snowmobile and I'd changed some stuff and worked on my truck a little bit. But, you know, looking back, I'm pretty impressed that they kind of went out on a limb and hired me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you did that because if I was attempting to do things like that, it, it would just be <laughs> just the worst. So, okay. You, so you guys, um, tell me a bit about about your farm so you guys are grain farmers yes mainly. Um, mainly. 
mainly. Okay, so what what did you guys harvest this year? So this year we had uh, some barley in. We had durum, uh, which is a wheat used for pasta. Yeah. We had large green lentils in and flax. Um, and then we also had 50 acres that was an experiment on sunflowers uh, as mm. an oil seed. So I saw I saw one of Liam's tweets. You guys put in a different, maybe pea, not peas, or there was a different type of grain. He, he was combining and maybe. Um, yeah, it might have been, was it? Um, it might have was it fava beans? Yes. Okay, so that's when we that's actually. That's what it was. Yeah, so we didn't grow those. We actually hauled our combine up to the Lloyd area after harvest mm. and did some custom combining for some friends up there. Oh, so that okay, was where okay, that okay. photo was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see. I don't know if we could grow them in my area. I'm not sure. I think Why too, too dry. dry? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how how was this year's crop? Uh, the quality was really good. Um, just not just the quantity yield was... was not there at all. Yeah. We had the most that we saw during the growing season was two and a half inches. Um, we had some fields that saw under an inch of rain. Um, and we, yeah. you know, last year we were in drought as well. So we had huge um, soil moisture reserves coming out of 2016, but we went through most of those last year. So we really didn't have that much built up in the soil because we most of last winter we didn't have snow either we had some snowstorms that kind of happened in the spring so right we need we've had some rain this fall we had more rain this fall in one week than we did all, all summer yeah when i came out to visit um that was maybe the th- second or third week in august yeah. it was it was that week when it was so hot and mm-hmm. it, but it was so dry like you guys were out in the combine and i was looking down at the at, at the ground and it like i could I know absolutely nothing about farming. I grew up in Saskatoon, but even I could tell, like, like, oh man, it's, it's, yeah. it's really dry. Just cracks here. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I talked to Liam about it because because you were out in the combine with with the premier, and and I just, you know, he was about as as optimistic as I think he could have been, but it yeah. was quite clearly, yeah, it, yeah, it's tough. It was a hard year actually with me going away and doing stuff during the summer. Um, contracting and whatever, it was really hard for me to come back because I could go away and I could kind of become optimistic while I was away. Mm -hmm. And then coming back and the closer I got to home, whether I was driving from Saskatoon because I flew somewhere or I was driving from Regina from a show, the closer I got to home, um, then I got to see the fields, what they were doing, what they'd done in the week that I'd been gone. And it just kind of was like a weight that would just like start pressing on me because it's like, no, it is as bad as he was saying while I was gone or, you know, things did get worse. And yeah, yeah, it was a tough year. Um, can you just talk, you, you just mentioned it. Can you talk a little bit about some of the contracting or the consulting work that, that you do, I guess? So I, right now I'm working with Agco and I've done three farm shows with them, I believe. Uh, they launched their new ideal Fent Ideal Combine this year in North America. And so I've been going to some of the farm shows in the United States and I have about a 12 minute speech that I give that kind of talks about the different attributes of the combine and how the design and the, you know, consultation and stuff that went into it. You're a um, spokesperson like yes. basically for them? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I've got a couple more dates this spring and then one more next fall for that. Um, yeah. And then I've done, yeah, I've got to do some cool stuff running equipment for companies that are, you know, designing new stuff that isn't on market to give feedback yeah. and help with testing and um, starting to get into the speaking side of stuff more about um, 
agriculture and uh, policy and advocacy and mental yeah. health and so so did most of that work come come from your social media following like yes it, it got built up. yeah okay yeah. Oh, that's cool you're an influencer then you it's are you are officially crazy. that yeah. <laughs> I never, uh, I just went into it wanting to share the story of agriculture and to be really transparent and open and honest and, um, you know, having, I wanted to talk in a way that I would have understood seven years ago when, like you said, I knew nothing about farming or the food. I thought GMOs were bad. And, and so I wanted yeah, to share that story. Let's talk about that maybe about, about GMOs. So, okay. Yeah. You've, you've been quite outspoken, maybe not outspoken, but <laughs> I think you can use that term. Okay, sure. So, um, it seems like the like the anti-GMO crowd, whomever they may be, seem to have won whatever argument or battle there there has been over GMOs, despite the fact that all of the science mm-hmm. quite clearly shows that um, it is not dangerous in your food. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what can you just talk briefly about about that and because I think we talked about it in the in the summer when I was at the farm with you guys, and you were quite concerned about how to you know tell people, young people like like ourselves who who don't spend their days on the farm, mm-hmm. you know, actually growing this stuff, um, you know, how to get through to them that this is safe. Mm-hmm. It's it's challenging, and I think why you can say that you feel like that side is one is that they came to the table before we even knew we needed to be at that table or we even knew mm-hmm. that there was a table to be at. So, you know, all the scientists, farmers have always been uh, trusted. They've always, they never felt that they needed to really talk about stuff because they're growing food. Who doesn't want you to grow them food, right? Uh, it's a, it's in, traditionally been a very trusted profession. Um, and then scientists, they're so data uh, driven that they know the science, they understand the science, and so they don't think that they need to talk about it either because they know that it's fine. Mm. And so they think the science will speak for itself. And this disconnect happened where these groups and these activists, they said, well, we don't trust it, we don't like it, we're, we've got a ton of money funding us. Like Whole Foods, they actually made more money than Monsanto a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of money on Whoa. that side of the coin, which a lot of people don't realize. So there's an agenda, there's always an agenda, right? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's been, um, I've really noticed, uh, you know, most people still are in the middle where they want to have that conversation. They want to have it with a farmer um, and they they're undecided about whether uh, they should be worried about GMOs or worried about glyphosate or worried about um, some of the tools we're using in beef production. And so they want to have that conversation. You just have this very small percentage at the far extreme that is so loud yeah. that it's really the, hard to get through that noise. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's. It, but I've noticed a break it down too with, you know, I can talk to a friend I've had for 10 years about an article that he's read online that talks about glyphosate being in his Cheerios and he suddenly doesn't want to trust what I'm saying. But he's mm. quick to tr- trust this, this clickbait article. Um, and then I can say, well, look, Health Canada reviewed it in 2017 and they you know, they said it was fine. And same thing, quick to say, well, I don't, I don't believe them either. They have an agenda. So Health Canada has an agenda. Yes. That's what, what people what think. What agenda would they have? Hopefully keeping Canadians healthy. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the thing, right? It's like, <laughs> right. okay, so now we have a bit of a trust issue between the companies that I as a farmer am buying my product from, um, myself as a farmer, but then also the regulatory bodies who are literally there 
to make sure that we are kept safe and kept healthy. Yeah. So, so, so how do you break through it then? Like, did you, you know, when I was with you in the summer talking about this, did you, you know, you were concerned, how do we mm-hmm. explain this? Any, any solutions yet? Have you? <laughs> I can't say that a big light bulb has turned on yet. Yeah. Um, I think a huge part of it is going to be education and educating our children. I know that yeah. there's been, been science and been studies that have proven that the easiest way to, um, influence somebody my own age is through my children. So the information that they bring home from school, um, right. whether they're excited about that or they want to share that, um, and just trying to have more conversations, you know, like yeah. being ready to have that conversation, standing in the grocery store or sitting on the plane or, you know, if I'm traveling, I wear a shirt that says farmer. Right. So, hey, open up a conversation, right? And like if you're sitting on the plane and you see that shirt, well, maybe I want to, maybe I can, I can ask my questions to this person because their shirt says they're a farmer. Does that happen a lot where, where, where you wear that shirt and people... Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Talking on airplanes is not something I, I love that much. So. <laughs> Headphones on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what about climate change? I, you've, you've written about climate change and climate change and about the carbon tax a little bit. Um, so your, your position is that, um, climate change is, is obviously a thing it's happening. You guys have seen it on your farm, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, some years you get a ton of rain the next year, none. Um, and then, you know, with the temperatures, obviously. Um, but I think you wrote in an article, maybe a few months back that, that the carbon taxes is just not the way to, to combat, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the issues of, of climate change. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the second you say that you don't believe in the carbon tax, somebody wants to label you a denier right away. That's the first response. Um, but with the carbon tax, it's a challenging piece because, um, every industry except farming can pass on that added cost and we have no control over our end pricing. Uh, the other challenge is that Canada so, is a, as an export mark, you know, we need, our country is massive, but our population is so small. We depend on being at, able to export. And when we're trying to compete on a global market where a lot of our car, our competitors don't have that, it's, it, it makes us less competitive. And in order to stay competitive, we need to take that hit at home, Um, which again, as farmers is something that we are going to need to uh, absorb more than others. And the other part of the piece that I've really struggled with is um, places that are doing carbon taxes. um, They're willing to look at both sides. And right now our government hasn't been willing to look at um, carbon storage or sequestration, what agriculture is doing, whether that's in forestry, because that's still deemed as agriculture, what we're doing with no-till. So farming in Saskatchewan is actually uh, net zero, basically, um, because of our practices. Can you, can you just um, just explain what that means exactly for... The no-till? Yeah, okay. for people like yeah. me who... <laughs> No, it's, it's easy to get couldn't, caught up in couldn't terms tell you what farmers, a combine right? looked like until five years ago. <laughs> okay, yeah. so for no-till, it basically means that um, when we come in in the fall and we combine, we're cutting down our crop and it leaves, looks like you just mowed a lawn, like there's stubble in the field. Yeah. Um, so what no-till means is that when we go to seed that crop, we seed directly into that stubble or that lawn. Um, whereas in the past, you would till it in the fall to try to control weeds. So you'd be turning that, breaking that soil, um, and then you'd do the same thing thing like rototilling your garden basically I see. um yeah. so 
every time you're doing that, you're disturbing that organic matter in that soil. Um, you're losing moisture, but you're also losing carbon that would be stored in that soil. And the other part of that piece is like, we need carbon to grow our crops. It's a very important piece of that puzzle, right? Yeah. Um, the plants need it for their synthesis as well. So uh, we don't like throwing around the terms as a farmer, carbon emissions and stuff, because carbon is a very, very important piece of um, basically being able to exist on this planet. Um, so it's, it's challenging to have a conversation about it um, in agriculture um, because people can, you know, there's some hot button words just like there are on the other side of that fence. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, 306 Media and Communications. 306 Media and Communications helps businesses and organizations with any help that they may need with public relations, social media advertising, and communications. Uh, if you need help with social media ads, like on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter or Snapchat, if you need media relations and media training help to get ready to talk to a local reporter, if something has happened in, in your organization and you need some issues or crisis management help, if you're getting ready to start a campaign, whether that be a political campaign or some kind of advertising campaign and need to figure out your messaging for it, or if you need some writing services like speech writing or press releases or blog articles, 306 Media Communications can help you. For more information, contact by email at info at 306media.ca or visit the website www.306media.ca or by calling 306-527-1914. Now, let's get back to the episode. Megs, um, one of the things that you've, that you've written lots about and have shared recently is um, about mental health issues and, um, and, and about how mental health in, in farming has become more of an issue and how, how you are dealing with it. Um, how, I guess, in, in terms of impact on, on your life, I know that you, you went to, the, to uh, speak to the, to the Senate mm -hmm. in Ottawa uh, a couple months back, and one of the headlines that came out of that was um, you said that, that, that you felt that your only um, worth. <laughs> only, only worth to your family was, was your life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And and I and I think that was a pretty shocking thing for people to see in a in a headline. So, um, what uh, if you can just speak a bit to to, to that issue? Okay. Well, that was uh, 2016, and I think that was definitely my hardest year on the farm. Um, that would have been my third year, and it was really the first year that I dealt with um, knowing what it felt like to have like a full blowout weather year. You know, people, I think, that grew up on farms, that kind of just was part and parcel. You'd have a bad year, then you'd have a couple good years. But that was my first time really experiencing it as a farmer. Um, and plus, I had two girls under the age of two at that point. And so I think I was struggling a little bit with that, uh, with not getting a lot of sleep. And so we just had a, a really bad year. We had horrible weather, tons of rain, full of disease. We had hail. We had all sorts of stuff. We had a... Yeah. Um, insurance policy that didn't come through that we were kind of counting on and 
yeah, that, like I said, uh, when I testified, that was kind of the first time, um, in my life that I felt that my only worth, um, was in my life insurance policy. And I think a big part of that was that I felt like I had failed as a farmer. I felt like I had failed as a spouse and I felt like as a parent, I had failed. Like I, I felt like I couldn't take care of my family or provide for my family. Um, And at that time, I kind of came across an article in the States um, written by The Guardian or published in The Guardian that talked about farmer suicide rates. And we don't have those stats in Canada, but in the States, they're twice that of veterans, um, you know, in other countries. Twice that of veterans? Yeah, it's it's really high. And it's it's not just North America. It's it's all around the world. Um, You know, we've got stats in Canada that uh, Guelph University did the study about um, anxiety and depression and... um, stress, high stress in farming, and that 40% of those producers surveyed probably wouldn't seek help or talk about it because they don't feel comfortable and they're worried about what people might think of them. Yeah. Um, the, the stigma. The stigma surrounding, it, yeah. 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 And not just the stigma of somebody else, but I think often in that conversation we forget about our own stigmas because I, I know people who we've lost because they were not able to admit that they had a problem and that they needed help. Like, like, like people that you know in the in the ag community you're like you're, you're talking about yeah yeah so it's so, so is it like how like how how bad is it in in terms of a i mean it, it's really it's a public health issue but like how like how bad is it in in the ag community in that regard like like would would you say most people that farm are are dealing with mental health problems regardless of whether they will admit that they are like is it at some point i mean mental health is is that sliding scale of our day-to-day well-being but um i mean high stress kind of comes with farming there's a lot that's out of our control um we you know during the busy seasons whether that's seeding or harvest or calving or lambing we're uh hardly sleeping we're running full out we're very isolated you know you might be 15 hours in a cab by yourself um just, you know, you're not eating properly, you're not taking care of yourself, you exist basically to do the job that you need to do at that point. Yeah. And that's, that's not healthy for anyone at any time. Um, and then, you know, you're, you've got huge amount of financial risk to try to, you know, get through that year, um, that liability, the pressure of that, of, you know, taking care of your family, what's going on globally. You know, this year we had some fun stuff with trade that's affecting prices. Yeah. Uh, you know, NAFTA Very was fun. a huge, a huge <laughs> stressor, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's just so many factors that are out of our control. Um, and then, yeah, throw in that stigma that farmers are tough. You know, you don't talk about it. You suck it up. Yeah. You've got that, I think, kind of romantic image of John Wayne in your head, and that's how you got to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's not good. Is it, so is it the fact that, and you just said this, that, that, that a lot or most of the factors that, um, that, that go into farming that they're out of your control. Like, is that the most difficult part that you, cause you cannot control when there's going to be a, a terrible hailstorm that wipes out your entire 2016 crop. Mm-hmm. Like, um, th- like there's, there's absolutely no way for, for you guys to, no. to prevent that. Um, I think that's, that's a huge part of it, but also, I mean, everybody deals with everything so differently. So what is a big stressor to me might be a, a, you know, not as big of a stressor for somebody else. Mm. Um, or, you know, having really localized s- systems come through. So, you know, this year we hardly had any rain, but if you traveled 
12 miles in one direction, they had way more rain than we did and their crops looked way better than ours did. So, you know, there's, there's that factor too, that comes in and then you put pressures on yourself. Like, well, why, why is their crop so much better than my crop? And what am I doing wrong? And yeah, there's, there's, I think a lot of it's the pressure we put on ourselves really at the end of the day. Right. Um, you, you, you mentioned before briefly, um, that you, when you went to Germany, you were, you were talking with one of the, with one of the farmers there and, and you guys got to talking and, mm-hmm. and you said that we, you know, or he, he was asking you about how things are going here in, in terms of the conversation yeah. around them, mm-hmm. um, about mental health. Cause there in Germany, like just nobody's talking about it still. No, it's, it was very interesting for me to hear that they don't even use terms like stress or anxiety or depression um, because like they don't even talk about it to the extent of using that language. They, um, they just kind of bottle it all up and you, yeah, you don't deal with anything. You don't really talk about it. Um, but then it's kind of become culturally acceptable that you, you kind of hit the wall where you, you just can't function anymore and you check yourself into a hospital and you might be there for a year or two. And then when you're yeah. okay to go back to your day to day, you go back to farming or if you don't want to farm anymore, then you, you know, look at a different option. And that's just such an unhealthy way to be like that really shocked me that, you know, they're not even at the stage where they can use some words to try to talk about what they're going through. And, um, I asked about that and he, he just said that, you know, well, it's, it's kind of that culture and, you know, our parents have already been everything that we might be struggling with. Our parents have already been through or they've been through worse and they, you know, they were fine. They didn't need to talk about it or do whatever. And so why should we have to, you know, so it's, it's hard. It's, you know, it's, I used to be someone that bottled everything up and I learned the hard way that that is not a healthy way to exist. Like it takes a toll, not just mentally, but physically on your body. Yeah. Um, has there been, quite a bit of support through your social media, like, um, like other people reaching out to you and sharing, sharing your stories, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. For me, sharing has, has always been a way to process stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I share or I write, uh, to help kind of work or walk myself through things. Um, and it's been really good not only to, um, have people reach out to me to say like, to offer their words of support to say, you know, I get where you're, you are, I've been there, uh, or I'm there right now, or, you know, I made it out to the other side. Um, but also in me sharing, I think I've opened that door and I've created a safe place where they know that they, they have someone to talk to and they can share their stories. And even if it's just, maybe it's someone that I talk to, you know, we check in every couple months, or maybe it's just someone who just needed to share their story once. And that's right. it. And it doesn't matter if you're not going to meet that person ever or that they're in a different part of the world than you. It's just yeah. you can connect because you're both involved in agriculture and it's it's that safe place to share. Do you get do you get surprised by the amount of people that that reach out to you to, to talk about that issue or is it? I was at first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot, a of, lot of guys, too. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. At least they're doing that. At least yeah. they're, they're reaching out. Megs. Um, I don't personally think this because I understand it a, a bit more than than I used to, I guess. But there's probably some people out there who who say, "Well, if if farming was so hard, why 
why don't you do something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually gotten that a lot on social media, whether it's a post about tax changes or uh, yeah, mental health. It's yeah. why are you doing it? Um, and it's, you know, I don't think you can be involved in agriculture unless you love it. You know, I read somewhere that it's it's basically woven into the fiber of our beings. But um, it's, I think everybody has to kind of keep that in mind that farming um, is a business and, you know, we, we run them as such and a business ultimately is out, out there to profit at the end of the day. And that's what we try to do. But part of that problem is that it's kind of a dirty word or it's not culturally accepted to make money as a farmer. You know, mm. people want their food, but they, I think because we've thrown around the word lifestyle, farming's a lifestyle a little too much. And so people don't want us to be able to run farms as businesses and make money. And, and that's kind of the, the feedback that I've got online is that, well, why are you trying to make money? Or you stop complaining how many acres you have. It's like, well, I pay yeah. rent and mortgage on every single one of those acres. So you can also have those acres if you want to take on that, that yeah. financial risk, yeah. right? Um, yeah, a lot of people seem to comment about, you know, about the rich farmers. Yeah, but or the equipment that we, you know, that yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, it's all part of that. We've got a lot of uh, debt, <laughs> you know, I've, we've recently, we've watched banks like TD Canada create agricultural divisions and it's because they see the age of farmers right now and they want to get involved in, in that transition of wealth from one generation to the next as these family farms switch hands. And, you know, someone from my generation who is taking over the farm, for us, it's not a transition of wealth. It's a transition of debt that we're going to be struggling under for a really long time. Um, And that's really scary for us to take on. And and so it's just a a different way of of seeing it, Um, especially, you know, right now, prices are not that great. You know, we saw wheat prices last year that hit what they would have been in in the the 70s. So, um, yeah. You know, with all the costs going up and we can't change our what we're selling our stuff for, it just makes our margins a lot smaller and, and farming a lot more challenging. Do you um do you do you guys plan to like do you do you want your two two girls to take over the farm when you're I'm sure uh when you and Liam are done or I think feel everybody like hanging it up? Yeah, I think everybody um farming wise loves to see that farm continue on. You know, there's a lot of farms in Canada that are, that are centennial farms. Um, but I would never put pressure on my children to do or to be anything. That's that's fully their choice. Mm-hmm. So if they choose to farm, um, that's great. I hope they will be successful. But if they choose to do something else, I'll, same thing, support them fully in that. And, and quite honestly, there's been days where I've just kind of been struggling with everything with farming. And I've, you know, looked at my girls and said you need to get off the farm as soon as you can and don't come back. And I know a lot of farm kids have heard that from their parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot have left and then, and then then come back back because it's something pulls them back. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for talking about, about, about mental health and thanks for the work that you do on that. Um, yeah, it's an important topic. So, um, one of the last things I want to talk to you about is, uh, there's, there seems to be a lot of women in the ag community, very, very prominent women who have become spokespeople, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're, of course, one of them. Um, but what's, what's your take on this uh, group of women in the ag community who, who, who seem to have taken at least social media by storm with, <laughs> with their work? Mm-hmm. 
I think it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, a lot of them are really close friends and mentors for me personally. Um, I think maybe part of it was, um, you know, there's a certain amount that I can connect maybe more than my husband to the people that I'm trying to have the conversation with. You know, I can, I can, I have a lot of similarities with that mom in the grocery store who's maybe worried about where her food comes from or how it was growing. And, and so for me as a mom, I can say, Hey, let's have a conversation about this. And I think that's a pretty powerful tool. Um, I also kind of had a uh, conversation, um, with my friend Kim Keller about this and we, uh, You know, traditionally there's been the thought that, you know, if you're a young farmer and you need an off-farm income, then maybe you work as a mechanic or you custom combine. Or I think what we've done is we've kind of taken that to a different level. And we've said that um, we're working to grow our farms and we're working to support our farms. We're just doing it in in a very different way, in a non-traditional way. But all of what we've taken on... um, has, has kind of been in, in that area. Uh, but at the end of the day, all of us just have a huge passion for agriculture and we all want to see agriculture grow and be stronger, um, and, and healthier, like the mental health aspect yeah. of it. Is it, is the, has, um, has the interest in, in a bunch of these women like you been, do you think, because people have this vision of people farming as old white men wearing cowboy hats or, (laughs) you know, ball caps, whatever. And, and this quite clearly disproves that. Mm -hmm. Is that, is it kind of like, Oh, that's different. You know, kind of, kind of wakes people up to, to that fact. I'm not sure. It might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had the opportunity to be the farmer on a panel at a Fortune Brainstorm event in Chicago um, right. with uh, Mark Young from Climate uh, Fieldview Corp. Um, and uh, Farmers Business uh, Network was there as well. And I think people were a little surprised to find out that I was a farmer, you know, when I was up there dressed in business casual with my yeah. hair curled and and saying the things that I was saying because I was I think a little knowledgeable on a lot of uh, different areas so I like breaking that mold um and proving that you know there is no one mold or stereotype for for what any anything is right whether that's been uh working in the film industry or being a farmer or what have you um it's yeah I yeah I like that <laughs> um so what do you guys doing next um so so harvest is done and i i I think people think that well when harvest is done you guys get to go off to palm springs or (laughs) phoenix for several months but you guys seem to be doing several different uh, projects based on your social media yeah we've got a lot on the go so currently we're building a chicken coop Uh, my girls have about 80 laying hens and they sell farm eggs and all the money goes into their educational savings. So that's so cool. We're yeah. Right now they don't really help with any of it. And my oldest is terrified of chickens, but your daughters don't help. Not yet. They're, yeah. No, they're just they're till, a little too young. They're, um, they're just around hanging out. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, we've got a 1920s Eaton's house that we're completely gutting and redoing. So we've been working on that for the past year. Um, that's the one slow. right across the, the road from you guys, um, right? Right across the highway. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah okay. The other way. Yeah. Um, and then, um, there's just all the other stuff that comes with grain farming. So, you know, we've got stuff to do on equipment or we've got, uh, grain that needs to be, um, hauled places or we need to, um, you know, my husband was checking, moving all the sunflowers from one bin into another to make sure they weren't heating or there wasn't anything going on. Um, so 
checking on all of on all of that side of things as well. We've got 20 head of cattle. Um, so there's, yeah, there's always stuff to keep us busy. Yeah, no, it, it seems like a lot. Uh, okay, last question. Um, when did you start going by Megs? Be- <laughs> because your, your name is spelled M-E-H-G-I-N, which is an unusual way to spell Megan. It's a, a very nice spelling, but it, <laughs> let's admit it's, it's, it's different. different yeah. Um, so, so did you start going by Megs because people kept, <laughs> you know, calling you Megan or, you know, just couldn't even say your, your name basically? No, it was, uh, I mean, I definitely ran into that. No one could ever spell it right. Um, yeah. but I think I was 14. I decided Megan didn't suit me anymore and I needed something with a little more personality. So I took up Megs with a Z and, uh, my parents were fine with that. And I've, that's what I've gone by ever since all my film credits are Megs. Um, yeah, my parents call me Megs. If I was in a room full of people and someone yelled Megan, I would not turn around. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, just who I am now. So, right. Well, Megs Reynolds, thanks very much for, uh, (laughs) for doing this and thank you for the work that you do for people in the ag community and uh it kind of seems like worldwide now based on <laughs> based on the on the work that you're doing on on social media uh telling your story so uh so thanks for doing this and uh can speaking of, of social media can you just uh, quickly say where people can find you if they don't follow you yet yes so twitter instagram facebook you can find me farmer megs um with uh zed and I've got a blog, Dirt, Sweat, and Tears, that I don't post on that often anymore. Um, and I'm also, I'll pop up time to time. I'm writing now for CBC, so. Right, yeah. Mm. Well, Megs, thanks very much. This was great. This was great, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's it for this episode. And that's it for season one of the Talking 306 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and for the support the podcast has received in its first season. The Talking 306 podcast will be back with season two in the new year with all new guests. In the meantime, if you haven't already done so, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for season one of the Talking 306 podcast. My name is Dale Richardson. See you next time.